Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Today, uh, like Peyton said, we're going to be continuing in our I Am series. Mike and Sherry did an amazing job last week. It's hard enough to prepare a message for yourself, let alone like have to coordinate and like do that with anybody else, let alone your wife. So hats off to you guys. Um, so uh, they, uh, one of the things, one of the biggest things that stood out to me last week is they had some amazing insights on the parable of the prodigal son that I had never heard before. I'd been in church for my entire life, and so I really encourage you uh, just to go and listen to that on the podcast. So like I said, we're in this uh, series called I Am, and we are, we are talking about some of the I Am statements that God makes about himself in the Bible, and thereby we're trying to reveal more about his character and who he is and also who we are. Now, this is far from an exhaustive series, um, as is basically everything that comes off of this stage. But the purpose is, is not to, to, to feed you your entire meal for the week, right? So if, if your spiritual food stops here after I'm done talking, then you're going to starve the rest of the week. You can't live the rest of the week on one meal. And so what we're here to do is not to give you an exhaustive series on the I Am Statements of God. We're here to give you a taste so that it encourages you and challenges you to spend time with your own face in your own Bible and your own face on your own, your own floor seeking Jesus and the journey that you're walking with him. So I'm, I need to actually get started. <laughs> uh, we're going to pray and then, and then we're going to get started. Father, we just um, we thank you for this opportunity that we get to be here this morning and worship with your people, worship with uh, people that are our family and people that we call our family. So God, we just... Uh, Pray now that your spirit would fall in this place. God, I pray that we would just have our eyes open to the magnificence of who you are. God, that there is none beside you and that there is no name greater than the name of Jesus. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So God, I pray that you would empower my perfect words now by your spirit and that they would accomplish what you set them out to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So who in here has ever tried to think about eternity? Just like, just like, I wonder if I can kind of wrap my head around it, okay. Now, how many of you had your brain explode like 10 seconds later, <laughs> right? So while in our flesh we cannot fully uh, perceive what eternity really is, Ecclesiastes tells us that God put that desire in our hearts. And so turn to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time also. He has put eternity into the hearts of man yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. And so the Bible says that we are made with eternity in our hearts, yet we cannot fully understand and perceive and comprehend what that eternity really is. We cannot see what God has done from beginning to end. You see, in the current time, we kind of live in this paradox. While, yes, we are eternal, we are still flesh. And we're not able to really understand or experience fully our eternality. And it says that God made us this way. So why did he make us that way? It says that he made us with, with just a taste, just an inkling. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that we see a vision through a glass dimly. We see only in part. We experience only in part. And it says that God did that on purpose. And so why is that? And I would propose that the answer to that question 
lies in one of these I am statements. And so that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. Turn to Revelation 21, verse 6. And it says this, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So for those of you that may not have grown up in church or haven't really heard this uh, talk on before, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so in, in verse 6, God says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is both the beginning, the cause, and the end, the completion of our desire for eternity. You see, we were never made to experience eternity without him. And so he made us with just a small taste so that we would know that there is something missing, that there is something more, and that something more can only be found complete in him. See, he is the omega. He is the end. He is the goal. Our eternal desire is complete only in him. And so we're going to spend the rest of our morning kind of exploring that idea. And so when God says in verse 6 that he is the alpha and the omega, that does not mean that at some point he had a beginning and at some point he will have an end. He's eternal. He is not contained by space and time, but rather he exists outside of it. The first verse in the Bible opens with this fact. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It does not say that God began and then created. In the beginning, God was already there. He already existed. See, he existed outside of the realm of time and space because he hadn't created time and space yet. And so then, as the Alpha, as the beginning, he actually spoke and created time and space. And because he existed outside of time and space, he had already existed eternity in the past and eternity in the future. He exists outside of time and space. Think about it this way. It, you know, get a mental picture of, of the earth like from a satellite, you know, like our nice blue-green orb. And think about that. That is the entirety of all space and time contained within the globe, contained within the earth. God is the universe. The universe is not contained by space and time. It's not contained by the earth, but rather God, the universe, contains space and time. He surrounds it. He rules it. And so when God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, he's not messing around. He's not trying to create some cute or cool analogy of how old or how big he is. He's saying, listen, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. There is nothing before me and nothing will come after me. I am completely self-sustaining, all-containing, all-encompassing. There is nothing outside of my sovereign rule. I am singular in my godness. I'm the one who spoke time into existence. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now I could make you think, sit and think about that for a long time because I have the mic and I can do whatever I want. If I didn't prepare the rest of my message, I would just sit down and we would think about it for a while. But frankly, I do orthopedic surgery and not brain surgery, and so when your brains did explode, I would be of no help to you. So we're going to keep moving. And so you may say, well, I, that's cool. God exists you know, in, in the eternity past and in eternity future, but what does that do for me right now? Turn to John 1, verse 1, and we're going to skip to verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then skip to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. 
You see, God did not just create time and space and then exist passively outside of it. But rather, he stepped into it. He reached down into it and saved and redeemed those who were living in it. God did not exist passively outside of the time and space that he created, but he reached down into it and saved and redeemed those who were living in it. Turn to Psalm uh, 73. Most of Psalm 73 is David lamenting to God about his enemies and how it seems that even though they're wicked, they seem to be prospering. All the, all the while, David, who is trying to live a life that is righteous, seems to be getting nowhere. And so he's battling with God about this paradox. And so he's, for most of, verse, or sorry, most of chapter 73, he's having this dialogue with God, and then he comes to his senses in verse 21. It says, when my soul was embittered, When I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. But nevertheless, I am continually with you and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Who have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In chapter 74, verse 12 says, Yet God is my king from of old, working salvation now in the midst of the earth. You see, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength strength of my heart and my portion forever. Not my strength, not my wisdom, not my knowledge or my friends or my support, not my finances, not my business. Because all of those things will fail and they will never truly provide for the eternal desires that were placed in my heart. God is my strength. God is my portion. And so when you are facing trials, when your problems seem so large that you can't overcome them, remember that the Alpha and the Omega took on flesh. He stepped down into space and time to save and redeem you. And so if you have big problems, what you need is not smaller problems. What you need is a bigger vision and bigger uh, understanding of who God is. If your eyes are fixed on your problems, they're going to look a whole lot bigger than the small God that you're not even looking at. So you need to fix your eyes on the Alpha and the Omega, the one who spoke you into existence, the one who is your true strength and your true portion. See, if if I'm just looking at my problems, it's like, oh man, I I have this business that I have and and things aren't going well. My finances are are not going good. I have this wayward child. I'm always fighting with my wife and I don't know what to do. I I, I can't possibly reconcile with that friend or that person and, and I have this going on. So what can I see right now? I see my problems. But if I were to step back and if I fix my eyes on the alpha and the omega, if I fix my eyes on my strength, if I fix my eyes on my portion, on my inheritance, then all of those things will go away. They won't go away. But my God is bigger than anything else that's going on in my life. See, God says that he will work everything for your good. You may not be able to fully see into an eternity past or eternity future. But the Alpha and the Omega says, I am not just the God of the past or the God of the future, but I'm the God of right now. And I'm working everything for my glory and for your good. And so how would our problems look to us if our eyes were fixed on the God who was 
and who is and who is to come. How would our problems look if our eyes were fixed on our true portion, not what we think is important in this life? For the remainder of the message, I want to focus on what God says or what God means when he says when he says that he is the Omega. Because I think there's a lot to, to talk about there. So let's turn back to our main passage, and I want to read a little bit further now into Revelation 21. So we'll start in verse 6 and go to verse 8. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. See, when God says that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning is him and the end is him. He is the beginning. Everything starts with him. Everything has its birth in him. Everything exists from him. And he is the end. Everything is for him. And everything has its end in him. See, one thing you need to know about God is that above all things, he is above all things. Above all things, he is above all things. His glory, his magnificence, his character, his holiness, his grace, his love, his mercy are the pinnacle of all time, experience, and existence. Above everything else, God is for God. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he delights in you. Yes, he gave his life for you, but he is and does all of those things because they're the most perfect display of his glory and character. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Everything is for him and everything ends with him. So in verse 6, God says that he is the Omega. Everything has has its end in him. And that ultimate ending is is either perfect unity and fellowship with him forever in heaven or eternal separation from him in hell. There are two options. And anything that's trying to convince you that there's not two options is just Satan trying to put you into the second option. There are two options, heaven or hell. And we see in verse 7 and 8, which we will come back to, we see a little bit more detail about those things, but he is the end. For those who don't believe in Jesus, his holy wrath is the only experience of God they will know on the other side of eternity. This broken world is as close to heaven and blessing and communion with God as they will ever get. But for the one who conquers, for the Christian, he is the end. He is the goal. He is their inheritance. He is their heritage. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure in the field. He is the perfect and only fulfillment of your Ecclesiastes 3 issue. He is the perfect and only fulfillment of that taste of eternity that he put in your heart that is only complete in him. So look at the last half of verse 6. It says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, 
and he will be my son. The question then is, who are the thirsty and what does it mean to conquer? To answer that question, we're going to contrast that with verse 8. So let's read verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You see, when you're first for something, when your thirst is for something that is not the omega, when your omega is a cheap substitute, when something is satisfying your flesh but does not address your Ecclesiastes 3 issue, your eternal thirst, when you treat something other than the omega as your omega, then your inheritance is hell. The one thing that everything on that list in verse 8 has in common is that they are elevating yourself or your flesh. When you take those things and are living contrary to God's best for your life, then you are living like that thing has greater worth than the Alpha and the Omega. You're living like that thing has greater power than the Alpha and the Omega. You live like that thing has greater authority than the Alpha and the Omega. You're living like that thing has greater worth than the one that made you. So I just, I just want you to think about taking anything that this world has to offer. Power. Great job. An awesome house. Nice cars. A good family. Awesome kids. Sexual pleasures, even within the context of a biblical marriage which are great. Take any of those things and hold them up to the magnificence and the glory of God. And if those things do not dissolve in his presence, then something else is occupying lordship over your life. Something else is your omega. See, lordship means supreme power, rule, and authority. And so if the thing that you are holding up when compared to Christ makes him any less than supremely powerful, any less than supremely desirable, any less than supremely ruling, then something else is your lord. Something else is your omega. And verse 8 gives a very plain warning about the consequences of living a life submitted to or thirsting for something other than him. But to the one who th- whose thirst for Jesus as his omega, as her omega, to the one who puts their hope in God himself as their inheritance, to the one who sees everything that this world has to offer, enticing as it may be, good as it may be, and by the grace of God thirsts for even more of the omega. They are the ones who conquer. The conquerors mentioned in verse 7 are the ones who thirst for more of Jesus in such a way that it empowers them to leave the things and the desires, even the good things of this world behind and thirst for even more of Jesus. You see, their thirst for Jesus conquers their thirst for anything else. Those are the ones who conquer. Their thirst for Jesus conquers their thirst for anything else. 
Now, before you automatically exclude yourself from the group in verse 8, I want to ask you a question that may confuse you. So you may say, well, I, I lie sometimes, but most of the time I tell the truth. I don't think anybody's a sorcerer in here, but if you are, we can talk about that later. <laughs> most of the time I'm sexually pure, but there are times in my life when that may not reflect that. But I do love Jesus, and he's forgiven me, and he will continue to forgive me as I stumble forward. And you are absolutely correct. You're 100% right. See, verse 7 does not say that those who conquer are those who are perfect. But it does say that those who are conquer are made perfect through their thirst. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you thirsting for more of Jesus? Not perfectly, but increasingly. Their desire for more of Jesus continues to increase and every other desire that this world has to offer decreases. Those who conquer are ones who are made perfect through their thirst. But I want you to take a hard and honest look at your life and, and look at where you are in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're stagnant or you're not where you thought you, you would be by this time or maybe you don't even know Jesus or maybe you're in a place of less intimacy and less unity or fellowship with Jesus than you once were. I want to ask you a question, and this is may what maybe what might confuse you. Are you making God into an idol? Perhaps a better way to say it, are you turning God into an idol? You see, idols are something that you can put on a shelf when you need it and take off again when it's not convenient for you or doesn't serve your purpose, when it starts to offend you or makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Are you turning God into a common idol, putting him on the shelf when you need him and when it looks good and taking him off again when life is going good and you don't need him or when it may make you seem offensive to today's culture or when it may make you uncomfortable because you're, you're speaking in a way that's not typical to your workplace or typical to a certain group of people? Are you treating him as a common idol? You see, the Alpha and the Omega demands complete surrender. Not taking him up, putting him on the shelf and taking him back off again. Revelation 3.16 says that you are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm and he will spit you out of his mouth. The Omega calls for and demands total surrender. Yes, the grace of God that saved you from eternal damnation cost you nothing. Jesus paid that price on the cross with his blood. But to live a life on your knees, submitted to Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, will cost you everything. You have to die to yourself. Die to your own pleasures and make God your Omega, your greatest thirst, a conquering thirst. He must have lordship over your life. And so why do we live like other things are our omega? When anything other than Christ is your omega, when anything other than Christ is your ultimate goal, when you are living like anything other than Christ is your inheritance, life will disappoint you. 
You will find yourself plagued by stress and depression and anxiety and despair with broken expectations and shattered relationships. Don't get me wrong, even if Jesus is your omega, life on this earth will not be void of pain or struggle, but it will have meaning and it will have purpose and it will change every relationship, every business deal, every stressful situation that you go through. It will change everything. And so what that means, Christians, is that when we face trials, when life gets hard, when the storm is raging around us, when the brokenness of this world comes crashing down on our heads, we can look to heaven and know that he is the omega, that he is the end. See, your divorce is not the end. Your anxiety is not the end. Your wayward child is not the end. Your depression and despair are not the end. Your business is not the end. Your finances are not the end. Your wife or your husband is not the end. Your children are not the end. The sickness, your pain is not the end. He is the end. He is your goal. He is your inheritance. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure in the field. He is your inheritance. Nothing else that this world has to offer, bad or good. He is your inheritance. So I want to close this morning by turning to Philippians 2. We're going to read verse 5 through 11. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, there is no name that is greater than the name of Jesus. And there will come a day at the end of time when we will be judged. And we will all stand before him and we will all bow on our knees before the Lord of heaven and earth and we will all confess that he is Lord regardless of how you lived your life or what you believed before that point. But for those who are kneeling and confessing for the first time, it's too late. Their inheritance will be hell. For those who kneel and confess for the first time, it's too late. If you're hearing my voice right now, please listen. Don't wait until it's too late. The scripture says, seek the grace of God while it may be found. And listen to me, if you have breath in your lungs right now, if your heart is beating, his grace may be found. You still have a chance, but the moment that it stops. It's too late. 
and the God who was beckoning you your whole life into his inheritance with tears in his eyes says, okay, you can have your inheritance. You can have what you lived for, but it's all gonna dissolve. It's all gone. And you'll spend an eternity without me. But for those who by God's grace lived on their knees, not just one time, not just five times, for those who lived on their knees as Jesus as their Lord, as Jesus as their Omega, with their inheritance of God himself. They will receive heaven and everything that God has prepared for them. We're gonna sing another in the fire now. I love basically everything about this song, but I just wanna read some of the lyrics. There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was, he who still is, and will be through it all. So come what may in the space between all the things unseen and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. And the bridge says, and even if he doesn't, I will praise him. When you are going through life with Christ as your omega, you will be able to say, come what may, even if he doesn't, because everything that this world has to offer will dissolve and I still have my inheritance. I still have Jesus. Even if he doesn't heal me, even if the prodigal child never comes home, even if this pain never goes away, even if he doesn't, he is still God, he is still good, and he is still my inheritance. And every battle that you fight in this life, every obstacle that you face, every oppression and adversity that you go through, every trial that you face can be counted as joy. Why? Because Jesus, your inheritance, is with you, fighting for you, fighting for victory on your behalf, giving you strength, giving you peace, giving you understanding and empowering you for victory. The difference is your view of victory may be different than his. Your view of victory may be healing. Your view of victory may be restoration. Your view of victory may be wealth. While all of those things are good, that is not his view of victory. His view of victory is the perfect display of his glory and holiness and love through crushing Satan and every darkness that this world has to offer and making everything new in Jesus. That's real victory. Everything that happens in this world will be worked towards his victory and the perfect display of his glory and character and love. Above all things, God is for God. And he will usher his children into his inheritance with him. So church, remember that when you are going through the fire, your inheritance, Jesus, is standing next to you. 
when you are walking in the midst of the sea, your inheritance, Jesus, is holding back the waters. When your eternity hung in the balance, your inheritance, Jesus, hung on the cross for you. Because even in the midst of death and despair, the Omega works everything for victory. Everything. Even death on a cross, the greatest victory of all time. So church, choose today to live on your knees. Don't wait till it's too late and you are forced onto your knees in the power of a holy God. Choose today to humble yourself and live on your knees and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. But the Omega doesn't stop there. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Confess with your life that he is Lord. Confess with your finances, with your marriage, with your relationships, with the way that you parent your kids, that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that he is your inheritance, that he is your Omega. Live your life on your knees. Confessing with your mouth and with your life that he is Lord, that he is your inheritance. And so church, is he your Lord this morning? Is he your true satisfaction? When you look at him, do all of the pleasures of this world dissolve in his presence? Is he the fulfillment of the eternal desire of your heart. Because there's only one thing that's going to satisfy that desire. It's the one who put it there. Is he your omega this morning? Let's pray. Father, would you give us the grace of your spirit to live on our knees? And to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. To confess with our life that Jesus is Lord. We're going to do something that might seem uncomfortable to you. Maybe you need to get on your knees when you sing this song and say, Jesus is my Lord. Do not wait until it is too late. Seek him while his grace may be found. Jesus, you are Lord of our lives. Help us to recognize it. Help us to see it. Help us to live it out. May we live in humble submission and awe of the Alpha and the Omega.